I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. We'll be looking at verses 14 through 22 this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 14 through 22. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab one of the Pew Bibles there. And it's page 145 in the Pew Bible. Page 145 in the Pew Bible. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, then uh, we invite you to take that Pew Bible with you. And uh, that's our gift to you today. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word, so please take that and use it for your edification. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 14 through 22. I think we want to start by reading our text this morning. So if you will, if you find your place there, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Deuteronomy chapter 10, starting in verse 14. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers, and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise, he is your God, who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen your fathers went down to egypt 70 persons and now the lord your god has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven let's go to the lord in prayer heavenly father lord we thank you for your holy inspired and inerrant word and lord we do pray that as as we open up your word today as we look at this text and learn the lessons thereof. Lord, we pray that you would write the truth of your word on our hearts. Open up our hearts to see and understand. Open up our hearts to conform to your word and your will for our lives today. And Lord, let us see you more clearly. And let us be drawn closer to Jesus through all that we study here today. Now these things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Today we're considering the topic that God is worthy. God is worthy. And that's kind of profound, right? God is worthy of our wholehearted allegiance. That's what we're kind of considering today. God is worthy of our wholehearted allegiance. We we're talking about, and those who have been here know this, but uh, for those that have not been, let me explain a little bit of this. 
uh, we're, we're talking about the first commandment. We're in Deuteronomy, and Moses is preaching a sermon to the people of Israel before they go in and conquer the land of promise. Uh, he's going to die at the end of Deuteronomy, so this is his last kind of series of sermons before he dies and Israel goes into the land of promise. And back in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, Moses laid out the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words of the Covenant, the Old Covenant, between God and Israel. And we're kind of familiar with those. But then from chapter 6 through 26 or 25, Moses kind of expounds on those Ten Words, those Ten Commandments, and he applies them in practical ways to the people of Israel, telling them what they, how they keep these Ten Commandments when they go into the land of promise. Chapter 6 through 11 are all focused on that first commandment. You shall love the Lord your God. Or excuse me, that's not it. That, that's a little later. That's in chapter 6. But uh, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, before the Lord your God, right? So God is the main thing. He is the main person, the main authority over our lives. And the general principle kind of behind that commandment is this. We've kind of defined it as this. Give wholehearted allegiance to God. That's what it means. Have no other gods before me. Give wholehearted allegiance to God. He is supreme in our lives. He is the supreme ruler over us. Now already as we've gone through uh, chapters 6 through 10, we've already talked about uh, a lot of reasons why we are to give wholehearted allegiance to God. Moses has explained one of the main reasons that we give our wholehearted allegiance to God is all because of God's grace. Right? We're not trying to win favor with God. We're not trying to uh, achieve anything. We're not trying to, to win his salvation. We're not trying to win his grace. No, we, we live in obedience to God. We give our allegiance to God because of what God has done for us already. We give our allegiance because of his past, present, and future grace. What he has done for us in the past to save us. For Israel, it was saving them from the land of Egypt. For us, it's saving us from our sins in Christ Jesus our Lord. We were saved when Jesus Christ died for our sins on Calvary's cross. We're also to live in allegiance to God because of what He's doing in our lives right now, changing us and transforming us into the image of Jesus. And we also live in allegiance to God because of what He's going to do in the future when He takes us out of this world. And Jesus returns, and Jesus makes all things new, and we enter into the new heavens and the new earth, God's eternal kingdom. So we give wholehearted allegiance to God because of His grace, past, present, and future. All that God has done, is doing, and will do for us, we give our allegiance to Him. But now Moses goes a little bit further. He takes it a little bit further. And, and he shows us, and this is kind of the, the main thing here, uh, Moses shows us that God is worthy of our allegiance, not just because of his grace, what he has done, but because of who he is. Because of who he is. His very character demands allegiance. His character, who he is, demands allegiance. Allegiance. So today, 
Our text calls us to give wholehearted allegiance to God because of who God is. Give wholehearted allegiance to God because of who God is, because of his very character. Now, how does Moses show us this in our text today? Well, we need to kind of understand the layout, and I want to show you the layout before we get into the text and, and see some of this. Now, last week, last week we considered five practical ways all of this is one paragraph and Moses began by showing us five practical ways in which we show our allegiance to God and last week uh, we, we saw that we show our allegiance to God through fear or reverence toward God and then adherence to God's principles by conforming to God's principles by loving God by serving God and fifth, by obeying God's words. And so practically speaking, outwardly speaking, by what we do, that's what we do to show allegiance to God. But Moses, he wants to make sure this is wholehearted allegiance. It's not just the outward act, but it's also the inward heart, the will, the desires, the attitudes, everything inside and out is to conform to the will of God. And he shows us this. Uh, we see this in this key verse here. And the key verse kind of in this text here today is verse 16. Look at verse 16. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. That's the main command here in this group of verses. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer hard-hearted. Moses is saying, not only do you need to these outward acts of allegiance, but also it's an inward thing, right? You need to change your heart. And he uses this illustration, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Now imagine that. Our heart naturally, right? And its natural condition is hard towards God. We've got this hard outer layer over our hearts. And we are hard towards God. Think about an onion, right? You've got that onion on the outside. There's that shell, right? There's that little wrapping on the outside or, or any kind of fruit. I've been eating a lot of avocados here lately. So maybe that's a little better illustration because the avocado is a little, it's got a thicker skin, right? And, and before, you can't really do anything with that thick skin. So you've got to cut that skin off somehow. And that's the way our hearts are. Our hearts have this outer layer, this hard outer layer. And we need to cut that outer layer off so that our hearts can be sensitive to the will of God. We need to transform our hearts. We need to change our hearts. Now, kind of a, a, in the, at the end of Deuteronomy here, uh, and we'll get to it long time from now <laughs> but Moses tells us that God is the one who circumcises our heart you see that's kind of key here because we can't just circumcise our hearts by ourselves we need God to do something in us we need him to change our hearts and you see that's what it's what we call new birth in the new testament being born again God comes in and he changes our hearts by spirit moving in by Spirit regenerating us and giving us new life. We need God to change our hearts. 
But we're also called here to circumcise the foreskin of our hearts, to change our hearts and our desires, even as God is changing them. We need to change our hearts, desires, our attitudes, our will to conform to God. That's what we're called to do. We're to give wholehearted allegiance to God. Outward acts and inward desires, inward will, we are to give over allegiance to God. And notice there in that verse, he says, circumcise, therefore. That's an important word. Therefore. Therefore says, because of all that I've just said, therefore do this. Right? And so what Moses says in, in the couple of verses before verse 16 because of that he says therefore circumcise your heart and then notice the first word there in verse 17 for the lord your god is for because and so what moses is saying here he's putting the, the the main command here in the middle but he says because of what i've just said and because of what i'm about to say circumcise the foreskin of your heart transform your heart change your attitudes to conform to god give wholehearted allegiance to god because of these things and in these things that he gives in that those first couple of verses and the verses that follow moses shows us six characteristics of god that make him worthy of our allegiance he shows us six characteristics of god that makes god worthy of our allegiance and so that's what i want us to draw out today and see in our text god is worthy of our allegiance let's get on started here god is worthy of our allegiance because god is first of all owner god is owner notice what he says there in verse 14 behold the lord your god to the lord your god belong heaven and the heavens of heavens, the earth, and all that is in it. To God belongs the heaven, that is, everything that we see above us, right? The clouds and the, the birds and the, uh, everything up there, the moon, the stars, everything that we see above, that's the heavens. And God also owns the heaven of heavens. That's where God is. That's where his throne sits, wherever that is. We can't go there. We can't see that. But God is there. All the angels, all of the heavenly host, to all of that belongs to God. And the earth and all that is in it. Everything belongs to God. God owns everything. As creator, because he made everything, by the word of his power, God owns everything. Everything. There's not anything in all the universe, seen or unseen, that God doesn't own. It all belongs to him. Even you. <laughs> you and all the molecules of your body, they belong to God. Everything that you have, it all belongs to God. There's nothing that you can give God that isn't already His. Job 41 kind of tells us this. God questions, is questioning Job at this point. Job 41, verse 11, God says to Job, Who has first given me that I should repay him? 
Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. It all belongs to God. C.S. Lewis says it like this, every faculty you have, your power of thinking or of moving your limbs from moment to moment is given you by God. If you devote every moment of your whole life exclusively to His service, you could not give Him anything that was not, in a sense, His own already. It is like a small child going to its father and saying, Daddy, give me sixpence to buy you a birthday present. It is all very nice and proper, but only an idiot would think that the father is sixpence to the good on the transaction. Right? Everything that you have, everything that we have, everything that we own, even our own being, it all belongs to God. He is owner. He owns everything. But yet, God also loves, right? Look at verse uh, 15. Yet, even though he owns it all, he owns all the nations, he owns everything under, under the heavens, yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Though God owns everything and can do with everything, whatever he wants to do, he chose to set his love upon Israel. Out of all the nations of the earth, he chose this small, tiny, insignificant nation, and he called him their own. And dear friend, just as he chose Israel before the foundations of the earth and he called them to be his own, God calls us to be his own. Before the, before the foundations of the earth, Scripture says, God set his love to save a people for himself. And if you are saved today, if you are in Christ Jesus, it's because God loved you. He set his love upon you. And he saved you. Really, this could be a seventh characteristic. I probably should have added this. God is love. Right? God is love. He loves. Even though we are a rebellious, ugly people, he has set his love upon us to save us. Even by sending his son Jesus Christ to die for us. As cosmic owner of everything, God is worthy of our allegiance. God's cosmic ownership implies the ne next characteristic that Moses brings out. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Notice in verse 17 there. 17, 4. The Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. God is God of gods and Lord of lords. Other places say it, King of kings. They add that to there. That just means that God is sovereign. He is sovereign as cosmic owner of everything. He is sovereign over everything. He rules and reigns over His creation. He rules and reigns over His creation. There's nothing in creation that gets God off, takes God off of guard because He rules and reigns over all of it. 
God is sovereign over nature. Psalm, Psalms uh, 135, verses 6 through 7. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightning for the rain and brings forth the winds from his storehouses. He is sovereign over nature. He doesn't need the weather channel. He doesn't have the weather channel app, right? He doesn't need it. Because he's sovereign over, over weather. He knew it was going to rain because he declared it so. He is sovereign over nature. When the hurricanes come blowing through, it's all within God's sovereign will and desire. He is sovereign over nature. There's no uh, maverick molecule in, in all of creation. They're all under God's control. God is sovereign over nature. Furthermore, He's sovereign over people. Romans 13, 1 says it like this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. All governmental authorities, from the President of the United States to Putin over in Russia, all of them have been put there by God. He is sovereign over all of them. For whatever reason that He has planned, right? All in accordance to His sovereign, eternal plan to bring about the end, to bring about His sovereign end. He is in control. He is in charge. Jesus said it like this when Pilate looked at Jesus and said, don't you know that I have authority to put you to death or, or give you life? And, and Jesus looked at Pilate and said, you would have no authority were it not given to you by my Father in heaven. God is sovereign. He is sovereign. He is sovereign over everything that is going on. Now, it's not like he's the puppet master and we're just puppets on a string. No, no, that's not it. There's freedom within his sovereignty and we can't understand that. But, but God, he governs us through his providential will. He governs us. And we can't do anything that's beyond God's will. Even in our freedom, right? We can do nothing that's beyond God's will because God is sovereign. He is sovereign. He is in control. God's sovereignty, you know, is a wonderful blessing for us. Why? Because we don't have to live in fear. Right? We don't have to live in fear. If we trust in God's sovereignty, then we don't have to live in fear because we know that everything is working according to God's sovereign, eternal plan. Look at our, our, our nation and the mess that, it, that it's in. Our economy and the mess that it's in. Everything that's going on around us. And so many people are worried to death about this thing and that thing, about health issues and, and economical issues and government issues and all of these things. Why? God is in control. We may not like everything that's going on, but that doesn't change the fact that God is in control. 
And everything is working out according to his will. And we know how, where his will ends. It ends with a new heaven and a new earth. And King Jesus reigning upon, over his kingdom. So we trust God because of his sovereignty over us. He is worthy of our allegiance because he is sovereign over all of his creation God is worthy of allegiance because, of he, because God is owner, sovereign. And third, God is worthy of our allegiance because God is impartial. God is impartial. Look at verse 17, the second part of verse 17 there. Who is not, who is not God is not, partial and takes no bribe. He is not partial and takes no bribe. God is impartial. You know, it doesn't matter how much or how little you have in this world. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what gender you were born with. God is not the least bit partial. He is not partial. You are precious in God's sight. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for all who would believe in Him. God is not partial. He doesn't choose sides. He loves people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Consider this wonderful picture of worship in heaven. Revelations chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and the Lamb. God deserves our allegiance because God is impartial. He is impartial. The rich and the poor alike, Christ died to save. The hurting and the lame he died to save. The deaf, the blind, He died to save. Black, white, He died to save. And because God is impartial, church, hear me here, because God is impartial, we should be impartial. We must be impartial. We reach out to every tribe, tongue, and nation, every people group under the sun. Because God is impartial. Because Jesus died for a people from every people group, every tongue, every tribe, every nation. We must be impartial because God is impartial. Partial. God is worthy of our allegiance because God is owner. God is sovereign. He is impartial. And fourth, God is worthy of our allegiance because God is just. God is just. He is a just God. Look at verse 18 there, the first little bit there. 
He, God, executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, those who are most oppressed in society, those who receive injustice most often in society. God brings about justice for them. We see, you know, in, in our world, we see a whole lot of injustice, don't we? You just watch the news and, and see how things unfold. We see a lot of injustice going on. And, and our heart's desire is to see justice. We're like, what's going on? What's wrong? Why are people getting off uh, 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 from their crimes? Why are they just walking after they've, they've done all of these things and yet they just walk out free? Why? Right? Why? But we need not worry because God is a just God and one day He will bring about perfect justice. He will bring about perfect justice. Before He became a Supreme Court Justice, Judge Horace Gray, now this was way back late 1800s, but Justice Horace Gray, he once presided over a court case in which a man, he got off of, uh, he, he escaped conviction because of a, a minor technicality. We see that a lot, don't we? People getting off because of the, a minor technicality. They're guilty. Everybody knows they're guilty, but they, they don't get prosecuted because of a minor technicality. But this man, before he let, left Judge Gray's courtroom, Judge Gray told him, he said this, he says, I know that you're guilty, and you know it. And I wish you to remember that one day you will stand before a better and wiser judge and that there you will be dealt according with according to justice and not according to law, that is man's law. You will be dealt with according to justice. Justice will be served. God is a just God. And He will one day bring about perfect justice. Every person will stand before God and give an account for what they've done, their deeds. Look at uh, Revelation. If you can flip back there to Revelation. Revelation chapter 20 paints a picture of that day, that day that God delivers perfect justice. Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky, fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books, notice that, books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged. That The dead there are those who are dead in Christ, those who are outside of Christ, those who have not been born again, those who have not come to faith in Jesus and the dead were judged by what was written in the books. Now, what was written in the books? According to what they had done. According to what they had done. You see, those outside of Christ will stand before God, and they will be judged according to their works. All of their evil deeds will come out. And God will administer perfect justice. He will convict them and condemn them to a devil's hell because of their 
sin. Their unrighteousness. God will administer perfect justice. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You see, everyone will stand before God. And those who are not in Christ, they will be judged according to the books. The books of their lives. All of their deeds, all of their actions, all of their unrighteousness will be brought before God. And God will convict them guilty to hell with you. Depart from me. I never knew you. But those who are in Christ, those whose name were written in the book, the book of life, their names are there. There's not the books, right? They won't be judged by the books of their life. They will be judged by the book. The book of Jesus Christ. You see, because those who are in Jesus will not be judged by our works. We'll be judged by Jesus' works. Because Jesus came and Jesus died on the cross for us. God's justice, His just wrath towards our sins was poured out on Jesus. We are justified in Jesus. We're declared innocent in Jesus. And we will be judged not by the books of our evil deeds, but by the book of His righteousness. Because all of His righteousness is given to us. Our just wrath was poured out on Him, and His righteous deeds are added to our account. And we are judged by the book of Jesus Christ. And God will look at us and say, Come into my kingdom, my faithful servant. The question is, where is your name recorded? Is your name in the books or the book? Are you trusting in your deeds? Are you trusting in the salvation and the righteousness of Jesus Christ? God is a just God. And one day, you may escape justice on this earth, but you will not escape God's justice. No one will escape God's justice. You'll either pay the penalty for your unrighteous deeds, or you'll find forgiveness and salvation in Jesus Christ. Only in Christ is there eternal life. God deserves allegiance because God is just. God is worthy of our allegiance because God is owner. He's sovereign. He's impartial. He's just. And fifth, God is compassionate. He is compassionate. Going back there to our verse, uh, verse 19, or excuse me, verse 18 of Deuteronomy. God is compassionate. He is compassionate. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner. 
He loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. And we'll read verse 19 as well. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. God loves the sojourner. He he loves the alien, the one who is there in the land, who has no land, who has no vineyard, who has no way of really making a living other than working for other people, right? He is a sojourner. He's a stranger in the land. And God set his love upon them. He loved them and he provided for them. He gave them food. He gave them clothing. He loves the sojourner. He loves the sojourner. He loves those who can't help themselves. He's compassionate and shows love for those who cannot help themselves. Now, you've heard it said, God helps those who what? Help themselves. That's not biblical. That is not biblical, but as Charles Spurgeon said, God does love those who cannot help themselves. He helps those who cannot help themselves, those who are distraught, those who are downtrodden, those who are outsiders, those who have not. God loves them, and he has compassion upon them, and he makes those provisions. He feeds them. He clothes them. He looks after them. And because God is compassionate, he causes people to show compassion. We're to show compassion. We're to look at those who have less than we have, those who are downtrodden, those who are down and out. We're to look on those with compassion and show mercy upon them. As Christians, we we ourselves have experienced God's compassion, have we not? Romans 5, 8 tells us God shows His love for us, His compassion for us, And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, we were sinners. We were downtrodden. We were down and out. We had no hope in the world. And God sent His Son to die for us because He had compassion upon us. And because we've experienced God's compassion, how much more should we show compassion? We need to be reaching out to people who are downtrodden, those who are outcast in society, reaching out. We have the message of hope, the message of life. Let us reach out in compassion and share the love of God with them. God is compassionate. He has shown us compassion by sending His Son to die for us. And He calls us to be compassionate as well god deserves our wholehearted allegiance because god is owner sovereign impartial just compassionate and sixth god is savior god is savior notice the last few verses there starting in verse 20 you shall fear the lord your god you shall serve him and hold fast to him and by his name you shall swear give wholehearted allegiance to god He is your God, excuse me, He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. For Israel that was bringing them up out of the land of Egypt with a strong and mighty arm. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars 
of heaven. God is Savior. He is Savior. He saved Israel. He brought them up out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the promised land. He multiplied them. He blessed them and multiplied them. And they grew to become a mighty and strong nation all because of God's saving work in their lives. And let me tell you, dear friend, God is Savior and He is multiplier of His church. He saved us from our sins. He has redeemed us in Christ Jesus. And He is multiplying His church. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted, this is talking about the early church, of course. Peter in chapter 2 gives his sermon there in Jerusalem. And thousands of people are added to the church that very day. And then this little paragraph here at the end of chapter 2 describes the early church of what they're doing and what God is doing in them. And they, that is the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing uh, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and uh, generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And notice this, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved now we don't have time to get into all of that text but as the church is doing what god has called them to do right that's what they're doing they're doing what god has called them to do they're sitting under the teaching of the apostles they're hearing the word preached they're applying it to their lives they're going out and they're testifying the good news of jesus christ to the people around them and as they're doing what god has called the church to do god is adding to them day by day those who are being saved he multiplied the church and that's what god does when the church does what the church is supposed to do, what God has called us to do. God multiplies the church. When people come together and hear the Word and allow the Word to seep into their hearts and transform them from the inside out, when people begin to, to take God's Word and use God's Word to serve others, when we get serious about the Great Commission to go make disciples of all people groups, not just those who look like you and act like you, but all peoples, all of those around you that God puts in your, 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 your field of view there, right in your life, you go and you make disciples. Let that be your passion. That is your God-given purpose. Let that be your passion. Let that be your drive. When the church does that, God adds to their number day by day those who are being saved. Let me be honest. And this wasn't in my notes, but God's put it on my heart. You know why the baptistry hasn't been filled in several months? Because God's people 
are not doing what God has called them to do. We are called to make disciples. We're called to reach out to those who God has put in our path and to share with them the love of Jesus Christ. Not even that. We're to, be, we're to go out purposefully, right, and seek the laws. Jesus came to seek and to save the laws. He didn't come just to kind of bump into the laws and maybe they'll get saved. He came to seek and save the lost. If the church will seek to save the lost, we'd have baptisms every Sunday. And I'll take some of the blame too. I'm not just pointing my finger. There's, there's three more pointing back at me. I could be more proactive myself. But church, we need to get serious about what God has called us to do. He is our Savior. And He has called us and He has given us a purpose to seek the lost. Just as Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, He calls us to seek to save the lost through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to get on fire with that mission. God is worthy of your allegiance. He is worthy of your allegiance. We've just looked at six characteristics. We could add many, many more to, to this list. But just these six alone, these six characteristics alone show us that God is worthy of our allegiance. So give wholehearted allegiance to God because God is who He is. He is worthy. How do you do that? First and foremost, by trusting in Jesus Christ. Becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. Following Jesus. Putting your faith and your, your trust in Him. Surrendering your life to Him. Trusting in the salvation that He has provided. Conforming to His image and likeness. That's where it starts. If you're living in sin, if never trusted in Jesus, it starts by turning away from your sins, turning to Jesus, and putting your faith in Him. And then go make disciples. Share the love and compassion of God with the nations, those people around you, wherever you may go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You that You are a loving, compassionate God. We thank You that we can trust in Your ownership and Your sovereignty, Lord. You're in control of all things. We thank You that You are who You are. And we're so thankful that you chose to save us by sending your son Jesus to die for us. Oh Lord, let us find peace in that. And Lord, let that, the knowledge of who you are, drive us to live in wholehearted allegiance to you. And Lord, if there's any who've never trusted in Jesus, Lord, today, may they put their hope and trust in Him. May they turn away from their sin and give their allegiance to You 
and to Christ. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen.